Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first episode of Man to Man with my man Antoine Bate. I'm Darius Butler, a nine-year NFL vet. I retired back in 2017, and now I'm getting into the media part of things, man. And it's, it's a real transition, but we're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, typically, we'll talk, you know, things where we return uh, as far as DB play and um, the, the intricacies of what goes on back there in the secondaries because it's not a lot of people talking about that. But for right now, we got to talk about what's going on with the times. But let me shoot it over to Antoine to introduce himself. Yeah, what's going on, fellas? What's going on, everybody? Again, Antoine Bate. Um, I'm a 14 year vet, uh, DB, and like Darius said, man, well, I'm I'm very excited to get into this media world. Um, give you guys um a glimpse of the game through the lens of a DB. And again, you know, obviously we uh we have a lot going on um in society right now. We kind of want to uh, jump into that because obviously um myself and D Butt um we're more than just a football player. Uh, we're we're black men, we're fathers, we're leaders in this community, um, and we're given a platform to to speak on this on, on these topics. So again, uh, we're gonna speak on these topics from my man myself to DB. Yep, yep. So I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this, man. To jump off, uh, let's start right now um, with the sports world, kind of uh, right on the brink of returning. You know, a lot of talk with the NBA coming back, and um, you know, obviously Kyrie Irving. He's been going back and forth. Kendrick Perkins has taken his has made his take on it, calling him hey, he's a distraction, not been a leader. I personally side with Kyrie, um, feeling like it's still not time quite yet for uh, the NBA to return. Um, not only with what's going on in society, but what's going on with COVID. But um, just off the top, what's your thoughts about that? Man, it, it's tough. You know, I um, you know, listening to to the different sides, I, I think everybody has valid points. Um, yeah, and like you said, you know, I think Kyrie. Um, he states um, a lot of a lot of valid points. You know, we're going through something very serious right now. And um, to getting back into sports, you know, um, that definitely could be a distraction. But then on the other hand, um, to, to, to play devil's advocate, you know, we all talk about sports and um, how it brings um, brings everybody together. So, yeah, I, um, I always think that, you know, if we have a plan at hand where, you know, if we all play in sports and uh, we see we have a plan where, you know, we can still get the get the. Um, I guess the notoriety and we can still use our platform to, um, to get whatever we want to get out to the public. I think, you know, um, we can, we can try to make it work. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, yeah, I, that's yeah. kind of my viewpoint on it. You play a devil's advocate though. I need you to pick a side. I'm going to pick a side. I'm with Kyrie, <laughs> man. And I feel um, like, I feel like, I feel like we can't, we can't all come together for sure. And, and, and like you said, have a, have a, uh, an exact plan in place or some actionable items that we want to see happen before you know the NBA comes back to play and I feel like it's only right that the NBA kind of sets the standard because right now especially when you talk about black athletes they have the biggest platform like you look at a guy like LeBron James he got uh you know 60 million followers on Instagram another 40 on Twitter so that's 100 million followers right there that you know that wasn't in existence 20 years ago so now these guys don't necessarily have to be on the court to we know what the hell LeBron eat for lunch if you want us to. Like, you know, so they don't have to be on the court to have that platform. And to, I know for a long time, you know, athletes haven't really used their voice, uh, especially as, as as powerful groups. So I think me personally, I'm with Kyrie. And even if, you know, I've, I've seen people talk about the different ramifications of going into next season with the CBA. But my take on it is what stronger position um, to go into CBA negotiations 
uh, than coming off of a season where you just set out the rest of it. And now you're saying, hey, you know, matter of fact, we're over in these group chats talking about possibly creating our own league. But, um, yeah, let's let's talk about these negotiations. I feel like that's going to give you more leverage than anything else. But that's, that's nah. my two cents. Nah, you def- you hit that on the head. You hit that on the head. And um, like you said, you put me on the spot. And if, if, if I did have to pick sides, I think I would um, pick the side. I, I would side with Kyrie. You know, one I think, yeah. like you said, as far as um, where we are right now, I think um, this is the time um, more than any other time. Like you said, players are using their voice um, to speak out on these type things where, you know, before um, – you know, players might have been scared, might have been nervous, whether they would lose yeah. their job, lose endorsements, or whatever the case may be. Um, but you know, I, I side with you with that. And then you bring up the CBA; that would be a perfect, um, a perfect time, like you said. You know, where you know, um, have the owners have the league a little nervous, where you know we have these guys that's um, that's making millions of dollars. Um, yeah, they can go over here and start their league, and you know, obviously, if you could get a LeBron and you can get um, all the big wigs, James Harden. Um, Kawhi Leonard to, to, to come together, start their own league, um, it would be something special. Yeah, man, it'll, it'll be crazy. Like you said, this is a time like we've never, we've never seen before. And um, I know timing is everything in sports and life. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's best to leverage, leverage that power, you know, in the best for not only yourself, but for your people and the people coming after. But um, for as sure, far as, I, I got something for you, though. So um, so we, we we talking about it just as far as like, um, you know, the 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 topic of police brutality and the social injustice mm-hmm. and things of that nature, um, and I think the COVID nineteen is kind of it not kind of it's taking a back seat to what we're talking about now. So, um, if you were playing and you say, "Yo, okay, we're gonna put you in this bubble for three months," um, how would you feel about the COVID nineteen situation? Like, would you be comfortable with that, or or would you be um kind of antsy about it? I, you bring up a great point. Um, I, I, I still would be antsy about it, for sure. Um, and and it, I think it also depends on where guys are in their career. Um, you know, where like how much do you need that money? Because it's a large percentage mm-hmm. of guys who, um, even though they're making a significant amount of money to average uh, people, like a lot of guys, I think C.J. McCollum came out a few months ago and said, you know, whatever number of players are living paycheck to paycheck. So it's like if you're at that point in your career – and it's like, man, I'm willing to take the risk. And it's kind of like almost yeah. with football, with, 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 with CTE and the things that, that uh, you know, we've seen people who, who've been done with the game um, dealing with. And it's like a risk-reward type situation. Like, you know, if you've been playing a certain way and you play the game a certain way, then maybe you, you can see yourself where I can, you know, I, I haven't, I've been fortunate. I haven't dealt with a lot of those injuries. So I can play for, I can extend my career. Or maybe you get to the point right now, you and you're 14, and if the right, the perfect situation don't come up for you, you can be like, no, nah, I'm good with that. Like, I don't want to, you know, it, it don't add up the risk versus reward. So I think that got to factor in. But I, I would, I would definitely be nervous with what's going on. You still seeing spikes in a lot of, a uh, lot of states. Uh, yeah. I know you've been training out Arizona. I'm living in Florida. Those are two of the states. Um, and mm-hmm. and do I really think twenty something year olds are gonna stick to those codes in the bubble and all that? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. So I, people yeah. would definitely be exposed. So I would definitely be nervous. Right, nah, I'm with you. I'm definitely with you. Yeah, I mean, but football, football is you know right around, right, right behind them. So how are you feeling about you know still being in the game and still possibly being in the locker room? Man, I think um, I think football is just a, a, a total different beast, man. Because you know you talk about you talk about basketball, you talk about fifteen, um, fifteen players, and I think I seen something the other day where basketball, I think they'll be allowed to have like thirty seven, um, 
37 representatives from the team or something like that outside of outside of the players. I'm not outside sure if I'm correct on those numbers, but when you th- when you talking about football, man, you talking about 90 players. Um, you talking about X amount of coaches, X amount of equipment staff, training staff. Yeah. So as far as the COVID, man, I I, I would be nervous. You know, I, I would really be nervous just because you know I don't think we'll be able to just keep ourselves in a bubble. Um, yeah. you know, obviously we will, we'll go to a hotel or whatever the case may be, but then you have people going back home to their families, um, you know, families, uh, moving around and they coming back. So when you're dealing with, I would say a hundred, a hundred plus people, um, every day. And then, you know, in football is no social distancing, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you, 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 you banging with guys every day. So, um, COVID definitely would be, um, a situation where, you know, going into the locker rooms, you will be a little nervous. It's already stuff. Um, out there that we deal with now with staff infections, um, things of that nature. So, yep. um, I, mean, I, 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 I would be nervous. I would be nervous. Yeah, I mean, you can take all the precautions you want, but you know, I feel like it's just still overall, it's more questions than answers um, surrounding COVID, and um, you know, that's not even taking into account the individual situations of each person because obviously these are people we're talking about. These are, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who have their whatever their family dynamic is. You know, if I can't, you know, go see my grandmother every week like I usually do or I can't, you know, one of my kids may have or my wife may be, you know, have some type of uh, immune deficiency or something. So it's a lot. It's a lot really to uh, to take into consideration. But as we know, um, it's, it's about that money, you know, cash rules, everything <laughs> around us. So once that bottom that's line it. is affected, it's like, you know, these guys are like, hey, we got to get back out there. We got to figure out a way. To um, you know, get these sports played, and uh, obviously it's mm-hmm. going to be some some collateral damage along with that. But um, I think what do you think? You think right now the NFL is gonna is gonna start on time? You 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 envision it being a full season or NBA? How you feel like? Um, so NBA, you know, players got till what June twenty fourth to to announce if they're going to attend or not. Um, I think personally, I think the NBA going they're going to move forward. Um, they already got to set it up, set up at Disney of, okay, these teams will be here. These teams will be here. This is what we're going to work out here. Um, honestly, bro, like you just said, there's a lot of economics, there's a lot of money out there. <clears throat> and, you know, at the end of the day, that's what them folks, them folks want. They want the, they want the green. Yeah. Um, so honestly, that's my personal opinion. I think the the NBA, I think they're going to move forward. Um, NFL, I think they're kind of waiting to see what NBA, MLB is going to do. Um, Honestly, if it was me, I think we could we could really wait, man. I because just just our game, we haven't had any OTAs. We don't know what type of yeah. training guys are doing. Um, coming into training camp, we already have um, you know, soft tissue injuries and things of that nature. Guys coming in, mm-hmm. I'm out of shape. So I just feel as though you know, if 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 it was a situation where you know, okay, guys, we're gonna report at the end of July or beginning of August, it's gonna take two weeks for guys to really get in the groove. And um, at least you at least at least two weeks for guys to get in the groove. So from there, I I, I would say we should push the season back. Um, mm-hmm. Push the season back if it's not a sixteen game season. Hey, it's a ten game season, twelve game season, or whatever the case may be. However, we can work that out, um, and then go from there. Um, obviously, you know, try to wait till October and just see what 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 happens with the um, with the spikes in certain cities. But um, but who knows? We just said, man, a, that's a billion dollar business, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot, 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 lot of bread at stake, and I feel like exactly. you know, the NFL they've done a um, you know done a pretty good job as far as 
kind of going with business as usual. I remember when the when the, the lockdown kind of first started and it was kind of around that um obviously before the draft. And they did a great job, I feel like, with the draft, adjusting, doing a virtual draft. I felt like that was pretty smooth um overall for the fans watching. And I know it was difficult with the players and the teams and the doctors not being able to do their typical medical stuff or visits, bringing guys in and out doing um, personal workouts. So it's been it's been crazy, but they've been adjusting well so far. Um, like you said, the offseason has been completely different for guys. Uh, whether mm-hmm. you're a 14 year vet, um, I would be I'd be terrified if I'm a rookie right now because you haven't had any kind of preparation. You're going right into training camp, and even with all that preparation. The amount of, uh, of, 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 of football knowledge you got to take, learn in the, in the meeting room and take it to the field, like that's tough. That's tough for anybody. Yeah. It's tough. So it's so, super tough for a young guy. Yeah. And then now what you just stating that, now you're looking at your coaches and you're looking at your, your GMs and things of that nature that makes decisions where you say you yeah. have a young guy and, you know, you're looking for a young guy to come in and, and really um, make a difference on your team. That OTAs is very important to that first year, that second year, that third Very year important. guy. Whereas, you know, a, a ten year vet, eleven year vet, if I've been that if I've been in that system for a while, um mm-hmm. OTAs isn't really I'm not gonna say it's not important, but it's not as important yeah. as that year one, year two, year three. Obviously, you know, every every year you can come in, you can try to polish your game. So as an exec, you know, if I got a young guy who 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 hasn't seen the playbook or whatever the case may be, um and really been out on the field and being able to move with other guys um, I'm gonna be kind of nervous come you know yeah. August and September. Like, okay, well, I know this guy has talent, but can he put what we talked about on these virtual meetings? Can he really put that um, into fruition when we get out there on the field? So that's another um, kind of concept or something that you kind of have to think about as a as coaches and 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 and, and uh, front office. Yeah, and that that you even had to consider that um, drafting because now I have to draft a player who. You know, typically I may draft a player with a little less experience, but now if I'm drafting, I want to draft an experienced guy and maybe play mm-hmm. multiple positions, maybe play with some some very, uh, you know, certified defensive coaches in college. Um, so now you got to factor those things in even more. And even now, um, what, what's been going on, I wonder how, uh, you know, how creative the, the, the teams have been and the coaches have been with guys. Because you know how important it is to get those reps. Uh, with a guy yeah. on the field. Like if, if me and you plan together together as a safety tandem or I'm your corner, you're safety, or I'm the nickel, like just having those communications when a guy goes in motion, a guy breaks the huddle, and like not having that, I mean, I don't know how you're getting on a Zoom call and having something, you know, some type of simulation with guys moving yeah. and everybody barking out calls. I mean, I would imagine they're doing something like that, but that's that's tough um, to go into it's the right tough, to yeah. training camp. And not having yeah. all that preparation. So we'll see. The guys, obviously, that have a lot of continuity, I think they'll be better off. But if you think about even on offense, a guy like Phillip Rivers coming down to Indy now. Coming to it, like yeah. he, You know what I mean? You can have a couple throwing sessions, but it's nothing like being in those huddles, um, having mm-hmm. your coordinator and the head coach and everybody just kind of on the same page. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see who handles it best. The best thing no. is, you know, everybody getting dealt the same cards. The same so, cause, um, yep. Yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll see how how it uh, how it gets handled, but um, definitely will. Yeah, man. So what, what's uh what up, man? So man, so let's let's talk now. about um. Obviously, we 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 talking about you know just the the state we at right now. Um, and I'm gonna kind of speak on this because it's it's kind of been out there. I'm a, I'm a HBCU grad. Um, I yes, went sir. to Howard University and. 
Um, it's a lot of talk out there where, you know, um, um, some folks are trying to, you know, push um, big time um, high school athletes to um, consider HBCUs um, rather than going to the PWIs. Obviously, we've seen in the news where, you know, DeAndre Hopkins kind of, you know, called out Clemson University. I think um, I just seen some athletes at uh, the University of South Carolina with just, you know, some of the um, University of Texas, building, University, yeah, University of Texas, some of the buildings mm-hmm. that are named after, um, you know, some folks back in the day that, you know, obviously did some, you know, um, not so good things. You know what I'm saying? As far yeah, as slave, yeah. slave owners and, and things of that nature. Confederate um, leaders. things Confederate. Like that, yeah, exactly. All of that. So how you feel about the, the HBCU? I know you from you're from Florida, you know, in Florida, you know. They got fam, they got Bethune, yeah. um, things of that nature. Like, how you feel about the the movement um, that you know tr- trying to push out there for for student athletes to start um, considering HBCUs? Um, I, I I like the movement. Uh, we and this is something that I know amongst um, some of my friends. These are conversations we've had before because um, if you look at the the whole ecosystem and the whole like like athletes are getting a, a good they're making a great amount of money but at the same time the amount of money that especially in the ncaa that they're bringing to these establishments compared to the amount of money they're getting is nothing so it's like you're always not being um i don't want to say the wrong word but it's like that would be the best way to shift the economics because the labor is where the money comes from so the labor is football players so if you're going to historically black colleges and universities you're bringing resources to that college university. Now, for football, it's tougher to do. You would have to, you know, bring a, a class of five, six, seven dogs to really change the dynamics of it. Basketball, you bring two of the three top guys, they'll be in the tournament, and they'll be mm-hmm. bringing in that money uh, to, to the conference that can eventually build up the football programs. But I think the idea of it is it, it, outstanding. But at the same time, you got to be willing, somebody is going to have to be willing to take that sacrifice because you go to a uh, Bethune or Howard or whatever, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be getting the same treatment that you would at Duke. You're not be getting yeah. the same, you know, those same sweatsuits and duffel bags <laughs> and trip, right. flying on charters and all that. You know what I'm saying? At, at first. Yeah. Now, if you look in long-term play, you can make that sacrifice. So it, it, it always depends on those um, individual situations. But if, if we started collectively doing that, collectively um, pushing that movement, and then the resources have to follow uh, from whoever mm-hmm. our community, other communities, like those resources will have to start going into um, into these universities to um, deter, deter some of these guys to going from PWIs. Because I wasn't even recruited by HBCUs. And I was, and that was cr- part of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? That was part of my conversation. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in Florida. I got fam. I got, you know, Bethune. And I wasn't even recruited because I feel like, I guess they feel like, okay, I'm not even going to waste my time recruiting some guys. But if I would have took a visit to one of these HBCUs, you know, who knows? Yeah, I yeah, think that's nah, and, and that's too. crazy because you're not the first person that 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 said that. As far as like you know, I wasn't even recruited by HBCU. Um, in in mm-hmm. some of the places where, like you say, you in Florida, you got you know some prominent, um, historically black colleges and universities down there. But again, like you said, you know, um, as a coach, you know, am I going to go take this visit where you know this guy has X amount of offers from you know these D one schools? I'm not going to waste my time. But um, I'm definitely with you um, uh, along with, you know, I think it'll be tougher for for it to happen um, in football. Just like you said, you know, you got to have five or six guys to really make that um, make that change for for that team. But 
But for on the basketball in the hardwood, I think you can get, like you said, one or two guys um, yeah. that can really take that sacrifice and be like, look, okay, well, I only anticipated going to school for one year anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I can go I can go to HBCU, bring some notoriety to the whole movement, the whole situation. Possibly I can bring a guy with me um, and try yeah. to and make a shift a little bit. So I'm definitely with you. Like I said, I'm an HBCU grad, man. And um, yeah. I know the history of HBCUs where – but back in the day, man, that's where that's where a lot of the, your top top athletes was coming from, as far as football yeah. wise. You know, yep. Jay Rice, you know Walter Payton, Michael Strahan, you know, um, I could, I could, you know, uh, a, a lot of a lot of guys. You know what I'm saying? So Robert Mathis, um, Rob Rob Mathis. I don't know. Yep. I got my mm-hmm. man Rob Mathis. So yeah. um, it was a lot of guys, man. And um, you know, we'll we'll see. I guess we'll see, man. Yeah, I mean, it got it got to start with somebody, and I and I think what what these guys, what these kids have now is, is they have a platform as well, and that's mm-hmm. that's another thing. That's always that that the platforms that we have now that's powerful. And then if especially if these guys are able to go to college and make money off their likeness, I know down here in Florida, uh, the governor DeSantis, I think he he passed that bill already. He signed it. I think we beat California to the punch to be the first one. So. Let's say guys did come to Fam or Bethune, like you can make money, you can already be making money. And if let's say that same class from Duke, that that Zion and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, those three guys went to Howard or went to Hampton or went to something like they like the cameras are coming. The, the, the cameras the, the are coming. Arena, they yeah. they not they not gonna be able to play in their their home arenas. Like they're gonna have to find different arenas to play in. And um, mm-hmm. so the guy, like I said, with the guys that have these platforms, man, it, 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 that, I feel like that's the real game changer. And once they come, the resources and the economics are gonna follow. So I think yeah. um, it'll be beneficial as a whole to um, to the movement. Yeah, and again, you know, piggyback on that, I would say the knock is you know you go to these D one uh, <clears throat> programs, you know, the facilities on point, you know, the locker yeah. rooms, the dorms, um, the fields, and things of that nature. Whereas you know my when I was at Howard, our locker room was at the – it was in the basement of one of our dorms. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a lot of things that you're going to have to look past if you really want to um, be the first of this movement. You know what I'm saying? It's going to have to be some yep. things that, you, that you're that you willing to deal with. Like you said, like we're not going to take – we're not taking charter flights. Yeah. We're get on that bus Thursday night, and we're going <laughs> you know, to make that – we're going to make that ride that's to Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I'm saying. That's going to take gonna have that – you have that box lunch on the on the on the bus ride. You know what I'm saying? So it's them, yeah. it's those type of things that you got to really put in your mind. It's like, okay, this is what my experience is going to be like, rather than going to a PWI and like you said, having the charter flights, having the um, you know, y'all y'all what what y'all had? What y'all had? What kind of table meals y'all had? Y'all had the um, I mean, it was it was it was decent. My actually, decent. my first year, my first year, our facilities were trash. We were in trailers yeah. actually, like Dan Orlowski. He was kind of one of the guys that really put UConn on the map, and then we went into D1, and and then my my era there. That's kind of when we fast forwarded things. We got the first team that was ranked, um, and then we started. That's what happens though. The donors, you know, a couple of donors made some endowments, and we we put up a fifty million dollar facility. Like they literally went yeah. around the country and looked at all the different top facilities, and then came together and put one at UConn, and that helped recruiting because now you bring mm-hmm. a recruit up there on the visit, and they see these facilities, so. Um, I actually saw the other day, I want to say yesterday, um, Netflix's CEO um, donated yeah. uh, $120 million to um, to the facilities. I know uh, to, to HBCUs, so a few different HBCUs. Yep. I know Trump did some um, 
months ago to uh, HBCUs. Um, so it's going to take money and resources to be going to them. And I actually saw a discouraging stat a few weeks ago. I was hearing, I was listening to a Black Enterprise CEO talk, and um, he said that this was maybe a year or two ago that only seven percent of HBCU graduates donate give money back. You know what I mean? So, so that yeah. it's gonna have to, obviously that's gonna have to go up. And even people Change, who, yep. who didn't go, like I didn't go to HBCU, but I need to cut a check to HBCUs because that's that's a collective. If you're really trying to do something, really trying to make a movement, it got to be collective. It's power in numbers. Now that's strong. That's strong for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. So we can jump on this. As far as you know, you went to UConn. Um, you know, I was P. Yeah, predominantly, yeah, PWI. Um, predominantly white institution. That's what that stands for, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I didn't even know um, that. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Howard University, as we stated before. Um, it's an HBCU. So I think this would be a good time where we can kind of just talk about, you know, both our experiences. You know, uh, my experience at Howard, your experience at UConn. Um, we can compare. We can contrast. Um, and, oh, and just see, you know, um, how, how our experiences were. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if I would have if I would have took a, a trip to HBCU just on a visit, like I don't know how easy that decision would have been for me to just go to a bigger school like UConn because um, it, it, it's a, it's an it's an experience, it's a culture shock. So I'm from South Florida. It's kind of a melting pot down here. It's not like you know like deep South like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, some shit like that. But um, so it's a melting pot. You know, we got black, Hispanic, white. We got all kind of people. So young, younger. In my younger years, elementary school was an all-black elementary school. Middle school, same thing. And then my seventh grade year, we kind of mixed up. High school, I actually have, it was more white, uh, probably about 65% white and, you know, 35% black and Spanish. And so going to college, so I felt like I, I kind of pre- worked to prepare a little more every step of the way. But going yeah. to college, you know, it, it, was, it was like a complete culture shock going from South Florida to Storrs, Connecticut. And, you know, mm-hmm. the football team is going to be the football team. You know, the athletic right. departments, you know, obviously you got guys from all over the place. But once you start getting into those classrooms, uh, different uh, different things you got to be involved with, especially beyond, like, the early classes, man, it was crazy. Like, a lot of the times I was, you know, one of two or three uh, black people in the class. And that was – that. that's a that's a weird, weird feeling, um, especially yeah. being an adult. And then you realize um, – just how different people's upbringings are. Like you hear them talk about their lives or their fathers or their mothers or their, you know, just their situation. Oh yeah, you know, we got a, yeah, their lake house is over here and that house, and then, you know, they own this bit and sold that business and, you know, they yeah. belong to this country. You know, it's just different conversations. Like, yo, like I'm living it. Cause when you're in your bubble, you know, everybody's kind of living the same, you're dealing with same. the same set of issues, set of circumstances. Exactly. But then you go right. up there and it's like, wow, like, Okay, now you re- that's when you really see the different um, different Americas, basically, that people are growing mm-hmm. up in. Because you, the like my experience and your experience and you know uh, whatever white friends we have experience can be completely different in the same country. So that was a right. real, real my uh, real it, that was mind blowing to me. It was definitely more even more than a culture shock. It just it was mm-hmm. literally mind blowing just being around. And hearing those conversations and stuff like that, uh, what was what was your experience like going to um, going to HBCU? Man, it was. Um, I tell people to this day, man, like I, it was probably like the best four years um, of my life. You know what I'm saying? Just because of 
Um, like you said, like, you know, when I was growing up, my elementary school, you know, I was, um, it was kind of a, a melting pot. You know, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of the, um, the kids there, it was military, a lot of military. You know, my dad was in the army. So, you know, you had white, black, you know, Hispanics, whatever the case may be. Um, I would From say Virginia, middle school. Virginia Beach, right? Um, say it again. Virginia Beach, right? Virginia Beach area? Uh, New, yeah, Virginia Beach at 757, Newport News. Okay. Um, okay. And then middle school, it was, you know, predominantly predominantly black. And high school, it was, um, I would say, predominantly black as well. You know, Hispanics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had some whites as well. Um, and, you know, we in my area, we had HBCUs. You know, we had um, Hampton. We had Norfolk State. We had Virginia State. We had Virginia Union. So, um, you know, we were we were very um knowledgeable about HBCUs, but athletes uh, in our area, they were going to UVA, was going to Virginia Tech, you know, they were going to the PWIs. So again, <clears throat> you know, it was one of them things that, you know, it wasn't HBCUs. It was like, you know, I needed to go to a big time D one. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go want to go to UVA or Virginia Tech. But I took my visit to um to Howard, man. I was like a it was a late visit. Um I took my visit to Howard and it was a Friday and april and when i walked on a yard middle of campus for like you know i mean i'm pretty sure everybody has some type of yard on their campus and it was mm-hmm. on a friday man and it was like one of them things like an all moment you know it was just like damn like and, you yeah. know, i'm walking on the yard and i'm seeing some of the baddest <laughs> um women that i've ever seen and for yeah. me it was like 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 for you when you said it was um you're from South Florida so it you know it's a melting pot there so when you went to yeah. UConn it was kind of a a culture shock and for me like as soon as I went there it was just like a comfort you know it was just like yo like this is where I need to be like this you know what I'm, 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 I'm home yeah, yeah I'm yeah. home and and, that, and that's and that's in HBCUs for for I guess for blacks that's kind of that's what it is it's like I'm home yeah. you know that's why our yeah, yeah. homecomings at all HBCUs are so so um talked about and so important is because like you're coming back home and for one yeah. time for once one one time in your life you're not the minority mm-hmm. you understand what i'm saying and again yeah, you know it's still the situation where you know i'm i'm meeting people from africa jamaica trinidad um california the midwest or whatever the case may be and again you know uh i'm i'm i'm, I'm in class with people that look at look like me but again you know we still have um professors different stories majority professors have, are black or what um it's it's, it's both more okay more black but you know you have white professors you know you have yeah. um you know you have uh, a lot of professors from the islands as well so again you know we might look like but we dope. still have um different life experiences you know what i'm saying so my life experience in virginia is different from somebody from cali from florida or from Trinidad or from Africa, you know what I'm saying? But again, yep. you know, we still have that, um, we still have that sense of, oh, this is another um, black young man, black woman that's trying to come here and better themselves. So, um, yeah. and again, I, I, I put emphasis on going to Howard and not being that minority. Um, I think yeah, that I- was, that was, that was huge where, you know, you were in a place where you're comfortable and HBCUs mm-hmm. aren't really that big. So it's kind of, it's a homely feeling. It's a family yeah. feeling where, you know, in class, you know, my, uh, probably my biggest class was maybe like 80, 80 people. Mm-hmm. You understand? And, and, you know, my regular class is like a, a high school setting, you know, 25, 30 yeah. people. So um, all, all that um, kind of just made it 
a, a comfortable situation. Yeah, I mean, I could now. I, I would say this: my experience, even being a minority at UConn, was, was very, very, very pleasant. Like it wasn't like I felt I felt uncomfortable in the sense that you know nobody, you know, I'm walking around like people know you're an athlete. You know what I mean? Like you walk around like people didn't just know. Okay, you're an athlete. Like I'm walking right. around UConn like okay, you you. And my, I probably had my sweatsuit on too, but <laughs> people know people people know you're an athlete. So that 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 was that was different. And like you said, being in class and just not really um, having a lot of uh, similar life experiences, not really growing up the same. That was different, uh, but it, it kind of made the the athletic community, I guess, more tight knit. So we mm-hmm. we like we clipped it. So like. For instance, like the women's basketball team, boys' basketball team, like summertime, you know, we up there, like we we hooping together, like we ch- we partying mm-hmm. together, like they put a lot of the athletes kind of in the same area on campus, like a yeah. spot called Hilltop for us. So like that made that community um, so much more tight knit, and and that that w- that's what made the experience so fun. College was still the best um, best years of my life, but just yeah. I just couldn't imagine. You know, having that kind of empowerment of just seeing that same similar type of experience, but with, with most of the people looking like me, like that, yeah. that would be a completely different, um, completely different experiment. And like the example, you because you think about like Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, like it's it's weird walking around a campus with twenty thousand students. And, you know, the small group of us that it is, the majority of us seem to be athletes, and it's like we know kind of the revenue that we're driving. We know what the women's basketball team is bringing in, the men's basketball team at UConn, the football team when we were there bringing in. Like, so you see that part of it. So it's kind of like, damn, like, you know, we here, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we're we we, we we're bringing all this money into this institution. And mm-hmm. if you're in a place like Clemson, where you got, you know, Confederate uh, leaders, na- you know, names on buildings and stuff, like, that's a super – like, I can imagine how some of these guys at, you know, Alabama's or Clemson or Georgia's, really feel walking around that campus seeing those type of yeah. things man so so that's tough i wouldn't say i i had that experience been up in connecticut you know been in the right. it's different um now yeah when i went and played in new england and boston that was a little different too but mm-hmm. i definitely had a pleasant experience overall um you know my interactions with the white majority in uh in, in yeah. connecticut nah and that's but, dope um, man and like you said like just another thing with like walking around <clears throat> I would just say, you know, Howard Campus is like, you know, you have the the third good Marshall, you know, you know, you have uh, your Harriet Tubman. So you have like prominent um, black figures in our history that a lot of yeah. times growing up in high school, like, you know, you get a you get a glimpse of, mm-hmm. you know, what 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 their significance on on black culture and, and, and black history. But then, you know, yeah. just going to HBCU, you know, you learn a lot about your culture that you you really don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, how much that's impact empowering. that that's you know, empowering. that certain that certain people have um on our world, whether you black, whether you're white, whether you're Hispanic or whatever the case may be. So again, that was one of the things that as a young man I kinda learned a lot about my culture. I learned a lot about my history, my ancestors, um and things of that nature. Not saying that PWIs don't do that. You know what I'm saying? But just one of them things that's going to an HBCU yeah. is something that I was um I was grateful and, and, and honored to to experience. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough at PWIs. I mean, they they you know they do their best, just like a lot of you see these corporations now, um, making a lot of adjustments and statements and things. Almost like black people just came out, but like mm-hmm. in college, you know, you had it's like you got groups of um, you know, I think it was called the AC, 
AC Summit, it was basically our, the group that we had that would do like, you know, basically black function or, or black history, stuff like that. But as far as I remember, matter of fact, I remember one time I was in our facility, in our new facilities, actually, they got the team pictures of every football team. So, you know, back mm-hmm. to the 50s, 60s, whenever. And I remember going through the pictures, like, where, like, where can I find the first black dude? And like, so like, even that, even having that, like, when, when, no, basically, when, when did they start letting black people play on the team? So like, you can look at yeah. your football teams and like the whole, everybody black the whole time. So even that visual, but I, I remember that, I remember that vividly being at UConn. I want to say, I want to say it was probably like that, damn near the 80s. I could be wrong, yeah. but it's seventy, and it's like it was like, damn, that's crazy. But I, I got to fact check that. But I remember that moment. So um, mm-hmm. definitely completely different experiences. And growing up, like like you said, like we didn't, I didn't, I know I didn't look like, damn, I want to go to, I want to go to Howard, I want to go to Bethune, I want to go to Fam. Yeah. Like that was what like I had cousins and family, a whole bunch of family members that went there, but they were like in the band or you know doing mm-hmm. this or doing that. But, you know, as an athlete, like, you want to go to UM, you want to go to Florida State, University of Florida. You know what I mean? Just because that's what you see on TV. That's where your favorite player probably went to. Um, But, yeah, that's that's – I'm sure we'll talk about our, you know, contrast and experiences a lot, a lot throughout the, um, you know, throughout this show. But um, I think that was a lot of of good insight. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's our first first episode in the books, man. First of many. First of many. First of many, man. First of many, and uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, I know I enjoyed it um, having this having this dialogue. And um, like I said, going forward, we'll have a lot of conversations, a lot more conversations, talking about football as well, and just giving advice um, to young men as far as handling things on and off the field. But um, looking forward to uh, you know some questions, some interactions, and uh, whatever else y'all got for us, man. No, for sure. Like you said, man, happy to finish up our first episode, man to man, with my man D Butt, man. Um, again, first of many. Um, be on the be on the lookout. We're gonna have a lot of special guests. Um, and really talk about some real good stuff, man. Um, on the field and off the field. So, uh, much love, much respect, and y'all be safe out there. Till next time. Yes, sir.